And I started out by saying, um, God is good, and I ask you to repeat after me all the time, God is good. So let's do that together. God is good all the time. Amen. God is good all the time. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning once again just thanking you for the opportunity to come together, Father. As a faith family, Lord, we know in this room there's many visitors as well. We've come together today to worship you. Father, we know that this day has been set aside to honor our mothers. And we do thank you for our mothers. And Lord, I recognize on a day like today that this is a very difficult day for many in this room as well. Father, I just think about the Owens family this morning, Lord, who, who those children are without a mom. And so I know this is a difficult day for them. I think about those within our faith family that have recently lost their moms. And I know this is a difficult day for them. And so, Lord, as we walk through your scripture to, today, Lord, we pray, Father, that every one of us in this room will recognize that you are good all the time. We pray that you will help us to see the importance, Father, whether we're mamas in this room or daddies in this room or aunts or uncles or brothers or sisters or nieces or nephews, aunts, uncles, whatever we might be in this room, we have a responsibility as your children to raise up the children that you have entrusted to us to follow after you. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you will walk with us and speak to us as we walk through your word together. We love you and we thank you for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's one guarantee of every single one of us in this room. We all have a mama. And each of our moms taught us a thing or 20 million throughout our lifetime, right? I came across some of these sayings, what my mom taught me. I shared with you a few of these last year or the year before, but I found some more. And so I want us to look at these. My mom taught me religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. My mom taught me time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'll knock you into the middle of next week. My mom taught me logic because I said so, that's why. My mom taught me irony. Keep crying or I'll really give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about contortionism. Just look at that dirt on your back. And my mom taught me stamina. You'll sit there and eat all of that spinach. And finally, my mom taught me about justice. Just wait until your father gets home. You know, there's so many things that our mom taught us over the years. A mother was talking to an old college friend and said, I remember before I was married that I had three theories about raising children. Now I have three children and no theories. And some of you can relate to that. And I've shared this with you before when I was a student pastor that for over 10 years. If you would have brought your children to me, I could have told you everything that you needed to do to help them. I could have told you how to fix the good, the bad, and the ugly. But today, if you bring your children to me, I'm just like you. I'm a father of two teenagers, and I don't know anything. And some of you have actually brought your kids to me for, for, um, are, are up to me for, and asked for advice. And I just kind of look at you like a deer in, 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 in the headlights. But I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, I love children. I love your children. It's such a privilege to be able to, to pastor with you um, as, as you raise your children. 
Almost 90 years ago, by an act of Congress, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. He established the day as a time for public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. W.L. Caldwell said, No nation is ever greater than its mothers, for they are the makers of the next generation. That is so true. Our message point this morning is this. There is a real need for godly mothers. There is a need for godly women who are committed to raising godly children. Mother's Day is a tough day. I know that and I recognize that this morning. Even though this is actually the third highest attended Sunday of all Sundays throughout the year, it is also a very, very difficult day. And many women do not come to church on this day because of the pain that comes with this day. The pain of loss, the pain of failure, maybe the pain of barrenness, or the pain of, 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 they have painful memories. I understand that, and I get that, and I'm going to be sensitive this morning as we walk through our scripture passage this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at Hannah, the mother of Israel's first prophet. Samuel would grow to become a godly man, a godly leader, a godly messenger of the Lord. He would anoint Israel's first king, Saul, and he would anoint Israel's greatest king, David. So let me give you a brief picture of what's going on in Israel at this time. It's a time in which there has been some good judges and some poor judges, some good leaders and some poor leaders. But at this particular time in Israel's history, there are no good leaders. There is great darkness over the land, There is rebellion. People are turning to idolatry. They're worshiping other gods. That's kind of a picture of what is going on in in the country as Hannah is praying and as she is praying for the Lord to give her a child. And we read in Judges 21-25, and it kind of gives us a clear picture of what's going on. We read in Judges 21-25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time of darkness, a time of rebellion, a time of the people turning away from the Lord. But there was also some godly families that were represented within this great land as well. In the closing verses of Ruth, we read of Ruth and Boaz having a son, and we get a brief picture of a genealogy of their son. They named their son Obed. He was the father of Jesse, and he would be the father of David, who would become King David. So within this dark land, God is still working within the hearts of men and women to raise children to follow after the Lord. There is such a need today for godly parents, aren't there? There is such a need for godly men and such a need for godly women and godly mothers and godly grandmothers, godly aunts and, and, and women and young women. There is a need for women who love the Lord and who are committed to serving the Lord. But man, let me tell you, this isn't an opportunity as we walk through this passage for you to kind of shut out and turn off and tune out. But we've got a role as well. 
as men, we are the spiritual leaders of our homes, or we are to be the spiritual leaders of our home. We are to lead our wives and our children well, and we are to co-parent with our spouses as we point our children to the Lord. So let us begin this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to read the entire chapter together this morning. But 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to break it up with each point as we go throughout this passage together. Hannah would become a very blessed woman, but her life would not always be blessed. And we'll see that in this first point. Notice Hannah's barrenness. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Our story begins this morning with reference to a certain man from a certain tribe that had two wives. And let me begin this morning by saying, not from personal experience, but it is never a good idea to have more than one wife. Okay? (laughs) Never a good idea. Elkanah had two wives. God permitted it, but he never approved of that. He never intended for that to be the case. Someone once said that the penalty for multiple wives is multiple mother-in-laws. I did not say that because I had a wonderful mother-in-law. His plan was for one man and one woman for a lifetime. Elkanah had two wives. It is most likely that he first married Hannah, the woman he loved, as our passage points out. He probably married her first, but because of her barrenness, he took a second wife, and he married Peninnah. There is no difference really, between what he did and what we read about with Abraham. You know, Abraham married Sarah. Sarah was unable to have children. And so he took Hagar to be his wife as well. And Hagar bore him a son whose name was Ishmael. And if you remember, that relationship that Sarah and Hagar had was not a pretty relationship. That was a house that was divided. That family bickered all the time. Those women bickered all the time. And what ended up happening is Sarah told her husband Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away. And within Elkanah's family, we also see a divided house. Hannah is barren. 
Hannah is broken. In Clark's commentary we read, it was a great reproach to a woman among Jews to be barren because, say some, everybody hoped that the Messiah should spring forth from her line. Another writer said, Barrenness in ancient times was the ultimate tragedy for a married woman, since her husband's hopes and dreams depended on her providing him with a son to perpetuate his name and to inherit his estate. Hannah must have experienced the personal pain of being childless, as well as the pain of being ridiculed. You know, Hannah was without a child. She was without a son. And Hannah not only experienced the pain of being childless, but she also experienced the pain of ridicule that came through Penaniah. In verse 6 we read, An arrival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Elkanah was a man of God. When the rest of the nation was doing right in their own eyes, he was leading his family to the church house to worship. And he offered up sacrifices before the Lord. And on this particular day, he offered up what was most likely a thank offering. And we know that because, because when you offered up a thank offering, you offered up part of that and you got to keep part of that offering. And so we see within our story that Elkanah divides up the portions amongst his family. He gives everybody a single portion, but when he came to Hannah, the woman that he loved, he actually gave her a double portion. I'm sure that he witnessed on a daily basis Hannah's pain and Hannah's heartache. And you know the saying, if mama ain't happy, there ain't nobody happy. And, and Elkanah knew that. And he recognized the pain that Hannah was going through on a daily basis. Some of you in this room have experienced the pain and the heartache that comes with barrenness. I read this week that one, that one out of every six women experience barrenness at least at some portion or some point of time in their lives. And, and there's so many questions that are asked. Why are some able to have children, others not? We don't have an answer for that. All we know is that in our story, that God knows, and in our story this morning, we see specifically that when it came to Hannah's barrenness, she was barren because the Lord had closed her womb. And throughout Scripture, we read stories of barren women. Already indicated Sarah and Abraham. They would have Isaac. Rebecca was barren, and she would have, um, was Isaac's wife. Rachel was barren, and she was Jacob's wife. And we read in the New Testament that John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, was also barren. I know this regardless. God is good all the time, even in the midst of one's barrenness. Now, like the above women, and like some of you, barrenness would not last for a lifetime. In the midst of Hannah's barrenness and our brokenness, notice her prayer and notice her vow. And Hannah's prayer is our second point. We read this in verses 9 through 18. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you would indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. 
Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in heart. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You know, all of us in this room have problems. All of us in this room have experienced times of desperation. And all of us have been at times in our lives where we are at our wits end. When such time come, men and women of faith turn to God and lean on the Lord and turn to Him for their strength. And as we see in our story this morning, that is exactly what Hannah does. Hannah, she went into the house of the Lord and she prayed and she wept before the Lord. She recognized that on her own she could have no children. And she knew that only the Lord God Almighty could open up her womb. And Hannah prayed and Hannah wept. Hannah cried out to the Lord and she prayed not just for a child, but Hannah prayed specifically to the Lord for a son. Why did she pray for a son? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why did Hannah not just pray for a child? Man, because isn't that what she desperately wanted? She wanted a child that she could raise, a child that she could hold in her arms, a child that she could play with, a child that she could teach to cook and, 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 and do their chores and all these other things. Isn't that what she really wanted? Just a child? Now, Hannah wanted more than just a child. Hannah wanted a son. Hannah was a godly woman, and Hannah knew that the world needed godly men. And even on that day, as she is inside that temple praying to the Lord and praying for the Lord to give her a son, there was great wickedness that was in that room. There was wickedness that was in that place. Eli had two sons, and we read in in the second chapter of 1 Samuel, this of Eli's sons. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. These men were priests of the Lord. Can you imagine a priest who had been concentrated unto the Lord to do the work of the Lord, not knowing the Lord? That describes Eli's sons. And so so Hannah recognized that. She recognized the wickedness that was in the land. And she recognized that the land of Israel needed godly men who were going to lead their families and lead the nation well. That gives us a picture of just how desperate the nation of Israel was for godly men as we think about even Eli's sons. Hannah would have known that those men were worthless and she would have known that the Lord needed godly men to lead well. So as she prays, she prays for a son and she makes a vow to the Lord. In verses 11, again, we read this. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch him his head. 
she makes a commitment to the Lord that she is that if she is given a son, her son would be the Lord's from the very beginning of his life. Her son would be a Levitical priest, and not only a Levitical priest, but he would be a Nazarite that would live in the house of the Lord. Ultimately, he would be raised by Eli. And that is the commitment that she is making to the Lord as she prays this prayer. So she is praying a very, very detailed, specific prayer for the Lord. She is not just offering up some hopefulness in her prayer, but she is being specific with the Lord, making a vow that if you give me a son, he is going to be a Nazarite, he is going to be of the Levitical priest line, and he is going to be raised by Eli, and he's going to be your man. I mean, it's good stuff when you think about it. A Nazarite was set apart to the Lord from the very beginning of their lives. They were to abstain from anything from a grapevine. They were forbidden to cut their hair, and they were not allowed to go near a dead body. In Scripture, we know another famous Nazarite, and it was Samson. Here's what I love about this story. Hannah recognized that children are not just gifts given to moms and dads for their enjoyment. Children are gifts from God for God. Children are gifts from God for God. Hannah prayed earnestly for a child, not for her enjoyment, but so that the Lord could use that son to change the course of human history. Think about that. This morning, two sets of parents dedicated their children to the Lord. They made a vow that they are going to raise their children to follow after the heart of God. May all of us in this room make such a commitment. Many of you over the course of your adulthood, you also stood on platforms like this and you dedicated your children to the Lord as well. May all of us in this room make a commitment that we are going to raise godly children, that we are going to raise godly grandchildren, that we are going to help to raise godly nephews and godly nieces. We're going to help raise those children that the Lord gives us some kind of leadership over. You may not ever have a child, but you are still given an opportunity to raise children. You may be a teacher and you're given students in your classroom. You may be a Sunday school teacher. You're unable to have children, but you're given influence over children. You may be a daycare worker. You may have other family members that entrust you at times with their children. So you still have influence over children and you can still raise them to follow after the heart of God. Hannah prayed a big prayer that day. She prayed an agonizing prayer. You can count that there were tears and there were lots and lots of tears as she wept bitterly before the Lord. She prayed with such intensity that Eli actually thought that she was drunk. One writer said, prayers and tears are the saints' best weapons. Hannah knew this. Hannah knew that. How about you and I? Do we know that? Do we recognize that tears are the saints' best weapon? We need to pray with such intensity as, as, as Hannah did. When Eli found out that she was not drunk, he blessed her and he sent her away. We read again in verses 17. 17 through 18, then Eli answered, go in peace and, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the women went 
Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Hannah left the house of the Lord a different person than she went into the house of the Lord. Before she was heartbroken, before she was broken, before many tears flowed. But when she left that place, she left with the joy of the Lord in her heart. She left having received the blessing of of, of Eli. And no longer was she sad, but she left with the joy of the Lord in her heart. That is what happens when we get into the presence of the Lord. When we get into the presence of the Lord, our lives are changed. And that is what Hannah did on this day. Notice our next point here. Notice Hannah's blessing. In verses 19 and 20, we read these words. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. They went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah, knew Hannah, his wife, And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Hannah was blessed. And the Lord answered her prayer, and she gave birth to a son. God is good all the time. God would have been good had Hannah not given birth to Samuel. And he was good because she did. Remember, this child was not Hannah's child. This child was the Lord's child. And this child would be used of the Lord to change the direction of godless Israel. He would be used to help point people away from their sinfulness to the Lord. He would uh, be used to anoint the first king and the greatest king of Israel. What would happen If you and I raised our children with the same kind of resolve, with the same kind of commitment, what would happen if we raised our young men and our young women to be godly preachers, to be godly missionaries, to be godly teachers, to be godly businessmen and businesswomen, to be godly husbands and godly wives? What would happen if we invested more time into their spiritual development than their social development? Hannah vowed to raise such a son and to give such a son away to the Lord. May we make that same commitment ourselves. Notice finally, Hannah's faithfulness. Beginning in verse 21. The man Elkanah, And all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Women of faith keep 
their promises. Hannah kept her promise to the Lord. She kept her word to the Lord. She kept her vow. We can learn much from her. How many times have we found ourselves earnestly and desperately praying big prayers to the Lord and making promises even to the Lord and saying, Lord, if you do this, then I will do this. And the Lord honors his end of our prayer. But what happens? Sometimes we walk back on our word, don't we? But that is not what Hannah did. You know, Scripture warns us against making a vow and not following through with that vow. In Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23, Moses penned these words, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Hannah made a vow and she kept her vow. When Samuel had been weaned, she took him to Eli, the priest, and delivered him over to Eli to be raised as the Lord's child. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine taking your young toddler that you were unable to have children for years, And all of a sudden, the Lord blesses you with the child. And you raise that child, you nurse that child, you feed that child, you change hundreds of diapers, and there comes a day when that child is ready to be launched into the hands of Eli. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I could have have taken Connor or Caitlin when they were two, three, four years old and handed them over to someone else. But you realize that is exactly what we have been called to do as parents, right? The Lord has entrusted our children to us for a season. For some of us, that season lasts until they're 18 years old. Some, it happens to about 22. And now that we've got kind of this this whole different generation of kids that are being raised, sometimes it's whenever they're about 45 that they're launched out of your house. But there is going to come a day when all of us in this room that are parents are going to have to, if you haven't already, launch our children into the real world to become the men and women that God created them to be. The difference between Hannah and us is Hannah did that right at the beginning of Samuel's life. But for us, there's going to come that day when we launch our children out of our homes for the final time. Does that mean that we're not still going to have influence over them? That's going to be limited but we're still going to pray for them and encourage them and walk with them through the very difficult times that they're going to have. But still, there's going to come that day when we have to do exactly what Hannah did and give our children over to the Lord to be used of the Lord. That's why it's so important that we get this parenting thing right, that we get it right the first time because there are no do-overs. There are no do-overs. But understand this. You may have launched a child into the real world that has just been like that prodigal son, gone off and done their own thing, squandered away their inheritance, made bad 
decisions and bad investments and so forth. But understand this, you can still pray for them. You can still encourage them. You can still love them and walk with them and point them in the direction of God's Word. You can still do that. So you may not have gotten the first 18 or so years right the first time, but you can get the next 18 years right. You can get the next years right with the grandchildren that the Lord allows you to have or your nieces or nephews or, or the children in your classrooms or in your Sunday school classrooms or whatever the may, case might be. You and I still have influence over children. And as long as we do, let's point them in the direction of the Lord so that one day whenever they get ready to launch out of our homes, they're launched out, not just as, as, as teenagers going off to college and do their own thing, but they're being launched out of our homes, hopefully to become godly preachers, godly missionaries, godly businessmen and women, godly teachers, godly husbands, and godly wives. Let's launch such children out of our homes, my friends. In Proverbs 22, 6, we read, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hannah left her child with Eli. But we're not told that she left there crying or weeping or regretting her decision. No, in in chapter 2, the first 11 verses, we are able to read of Hannah's prayer. And read of her rejoicing in her decision. But I want to read to you the first two verses of First Samuel 2. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. This is a woman that just gave her son over to the priest Eli to be raised by Eli. Yet she walks away from there rejoicing knowing that she has placed her child ultimately not into the hands of Eli, but she's placing her child into the hands of the Lord. And this man is going to go on and be a godly man that's going to make godly decisions and is going to help to lead the nation of Israel back to the Lord. May you and I be led of the Lord to help lead this generation within this building and outside the building back to the heart of God. May we let the Lord use us as his hands and his feet. May all of us do as Hannah did. Bring our children to the Lord to be used of the Lord. All of us. May all of us do that. And once again, you may not be a mama in this room, but you still have influence over children. And as long as you have that influence, help to raise them to follow after the heart of God. Let's raise the next generation of children to be men and women that love Jesus with all of their hearts. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And Scripture says if you do that, if you believe, if you would repent of your sins and turn away from wickedness and turn to the Lord, you shall be saved. If you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning and you've been visiting this church for a while and the Lord's leading you to become a member. We invite you to come as well. If the Lord is leading you to make a decision, you come. Let's stand together, and I want to lead us in a time of prayer.
Lord Jesus, as I think about Hannah, as I think about the hard decisions that she had to make, I realize that you have not called any of us in this room to launch our children over at the age of two, three, four, five, or whatever it may be. But you have called every one of us in this room to do exactly what Hannah did. But it comes a little bit later in life for us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will help every one of us in this room to raise our children to the very best of our ability, to point them to your word. Lord, I know, Father, that, he, that, that some of us in this room, we pray for our children. Lord, we, we share scripture with them. We, we seek to raise them to follow after you. But, Lord, every single person in this room and every one of our children have their own free will. They all can make their own decision. And, Lord, some choose to follow you and some choose not to. And, Father, we recognize that. But, Lord, that doesn't mean that we can give up on them. That doesn't mean that, that, that we can just wipe our hands. That means that we just have to pray harder that we have, to, we have to love greater. And we have to do whatever we can to be used of you to be your hands and feet within the lives of our children and our grandchildren and all of those children that you give us influence over. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for Hannah. Thank you for her love for you. And thank you for our moms that are in this room. Thank you for our grandmothers that are in this room. Thank you for our young ladies that are in this room. Father, I just pray that you will bless each and every one of them. And Father, I thank you for our men that are in this room. Our, 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 our fathers and husbands and grandfathers and uncles and young men in this room. May they lead their homes well and point their homes to you to follow after you. Father, as we continue our time of invitation, if there's someone in this room that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that today they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. That is to become a follower of you, to leave everything behind and take up their cross and follow after you. Lord Jesus, just move now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, if you need to come trust in Jesus, you come. If you need to come this morning and join this church, you come. But I want to ask you, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes, we're just going to spend some time just praying and reflecting. Some of, some, all of us in this room should be praying that the Lord will give us just wisdom as we raise our children and grandchildren and those that we have influence over to follow after the heart of God. Let's just spend some time praying for the next few minutes and then we're going to sing together and then we'll be dismissed. Let's just pray together for just a moment. And as you pray, if there's a decision you need to make, you come.